Yes. Um, well, like I said, I, I wanted to, I wrote a few things about the Vedic Dharma yesterday versus the Buddha Vedic Dharma yeah. and the Buddha Dharma yeah. uh, yesterday evening and I wanted to inquire about this today. Mm, yes, please. But yeah. it's a bit strange because, um, can I read out? It's a bit strange because I think you responded to it already part of it in the afternoon talk. Oh yeah, time. right, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So, All right, okay. it's, it's interesting how... All right, yeah, sometimes there's some mutual interest taking place as you explorations there. So it looks like you've got quite a full diary there, so... Oh, well, well, how much are you going to read out? <laughs> is it this a lecture? This part is just uh, one eh? side. This part one is just side, all right. Go on. Do I interrupt or just keep noble silence? Uh, this is from yesterday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know as you wish. All right. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm, Vedic Dharma versus Buddha Dharma. It seems to me that the Buddha took the prevailing religious practice of his times, particularly the Vedic religion, and synthesized his religion from it in the following way. Mm-hmm. He kept the karma and the law of causality to rebirth he kept the uh, denial of the importance of the body then he kept the shila the bhiksha the sannyas and uh, the sort of i'll explain those words in a while go on oh, oh sorry um, yeah no, no, carry on and the male dominance in religious authority and he also kept the belief in the guru it seems to me that he denied the Vedas and the importance of Vedic rituals, the Brahman or the universal spirit, but left it unacknowledged as nirvana, nirvana or emptiness of Zen. Um, he gave unusual emphasis to unusual as in okay. He gave unusual emphasis to the Sangha, which is not seen as a destination in Vedic religion but as a path towards individual sannyas. Uh, the second thing he gave unusual emphasis to is he took the meditation practice of the times and uh, with its unusual emphasis on samadhi and made it into a bits and pieces exploration of the mind and mental formations. You can say that the Buddha took away the mysticism of Vedic Dharma and grounded it in the reality of the social network and mental formation. Maybe you can also say he promises Advaita without the union with the divine and creates a clear and precise method for meditation practice. Take for example the usage of Brahma Viharas, uh, primarily which you, ex- which, which you continue actually. Mm. This is what I wrote yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Just in the overview for uh, a moment or two, in the spirit of uh, some exploration and uh, reflections, we, in this case, you and I, look at whatever knowledge we may have about the past we are kind of reliant on the text to uh, interpret and the two of us uh, uh, can uh, interpret and scholars and practitioners and meditators of course have done that for many many centuries I think part of the importance of that is not whether you and I agree or disagree with the Buddha's place in the religious tradition of the Vedas I think what's more important is how do we draw on that perhaps see some parallels in the orthodoxy of religion today including Buddhism and the other major religions what can we draw from contemporary religions and what is it that we need to re-look at, re-examine and I think that's that to me is the major uh, aspect so like 
today with the afternoon talk that certain wisdom of the Buddha there recognizing a deeply religious culture therefore to encourage people to listen and explore felt quite comfortable quite regularly with using the, the language of God and for some people there's a real uh, appreciation for the religious sensitivities what we might do, could do if you wish what I can do of course is like you express the view there are a few points where I think from my understanding and reading of the text um, there is the endeavour to show something and start something quite fresh very very uh, fresh uh, and so you mentioned a few things uh, of commonality between the Vedas and uh, the, the Buddha so that just to go through two or three and I, if I may I'll just express a an observation or point of view. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, okay. I mentioned that he kept the karma and the law of causality. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, he keeps no. rebirth as well. Barely, but the, all right. Okay. So, <coughs> uh, you're quite right. Um, there is, though unfortunately in the Western world, quite a, and it's so secularized world, I feel that there could be more place and more reference and more language to the importance of karma. And the karma activity, which has some, it's Buddha Dharma meaning has some unsatisfactory influence taking place in which there is the movement, that's the action, which then has some influence on the life of the heart, mind, speech and body. This is called karma. Unsatisfactory influence which is landing in the present and is causing some disturbance in some way or, uh, or other. And the Buddha's uh, teachings, of course, is the resolution of bringing the end to karma, to this unsatisfactory influence. And therefore to allow a free movement of life, free actions uh, of life there. He also, and that is very strongly in the Vedas, it's also strongly in the Vedanta, that means the end of the Vedas, some other texts. But he addresses causality looking at it through dependent arising uh, there in great detail that detail one will not find in the Vedas and there is reference, there is no word in the Buddha's teachings rebirth, it doesn't appear in the text uh, and there are 10,000 discourses the word which is used is not birth which is jati but bhava it's a re-becoming and the distinction it's, uh, between the two words is that there is the movement of life and the forces what we might call the karma of life that, that movement keeps re-emerging, re-becoming this great evolution of life this movement keeps on becoming there and forming and affecting the uh, experience of generation after after generation and that kind of uh, teaching is such that he is able to say uh, on a number of occasions if there is re-becoming he says if there is re-becoming uh, there, then there will be the consequences of the activity actions and if there is no re-becoming then there will, there, there will be consequences during the process of this life. And you can see that statement in the Kalama Sutta discourse, one of the great discourses ever uttered on this earth, there about the questioning of authority. So, and that willingness 
to have a provisional view about something which cannot be absolutely determined is a central feature of the Buddhist teachings. Uh, I would like to understand this. So, is, so in, the Hind, in the Vedic teachings, it's, it's um, that the re-becoming only stops happening in the final birth. It means if, if you're saying, if there is re-becoming, yeah. then the consequences of the formations will come in the next. Yeah. Okay, mm. That part is the same. But if right. there is no re-becoming, yeah. in the Hindu tradition, it is the final, final yeah. is that mm. what the Buddha says? Or is there a choice? So what is the difference? Yeah, the, the, the difference is, as far as I uh, can know and, know and see, is that to the former, if there is re-becoming uh, there, it's provisional. In the tradition of India, it's not provisional. It is. There is it's an un- as far as I can see over the years, it's an unquestioning view of reincarnation. It's not like it's provisional. It might be in the belief, it is in the Buddhist world, mostly as I say it's the same. It is a belief. It is a view. Uh, and it is the case. The Buddha quite regularly speaks in that language of re-becoming in the, in the, in the way of the tradition here. But in his true temperament, at times he's saying this is provisional because it cannot be absolutely proved and therefore because it can't be it's a belief and since he's a teacher who's deeply committed to the questioning of belief then it has to be included and that's the difference that's a big one very big one I would say these teachings are not dependent on belief in rebirth period and these teachings are not dependent on the belief in one life period means there is a possibility that it, it can not be that that's the difference he goes along with mm-hmm. it but he's also open to the possibility that this exactly exactly that's openness to possibility is a, a, a thread in the teaching which helps make well, people like me anyway helps makes us feel more at ease I don't feel any, never did in fact even as a monk either of any pressure I should have to believe see for your own experience but if you can't confirm something then that um, acknowledgement of that therefore it kind of keeps an, an openness even though one might have, some of us had, extraordinary, extraordinary, but anyway, deep uh, feeling, emotional uh, pictures, images, stories emerging out of the being which have absolutely n- no memory, no relationship whatsoever. And, and the thought arises uh, in those kind of exp- experiences when they emerge where did that emerge from? Because there's nothing here, nor in recollection. And I still say, leave it open. The, the other one with the, the guru, um, I think there, my understanding with the Buddha, there is a major departure. I'm afraid, I, I, my view. And what I mean by, mean by that, the... Um, lovely traditions of India, and still do, not everywhere, give a great deal of affirmation to the presence and uh, the authority of the Guru, which in archetypal terms um, will generate and perhaps invigorate some devotion to the Guru and the uh, tradition here of uh, (coughs) devotion uh, to the Guru um, is a strong one with what should we call it, the gods of the Vedas the the Dharma or or whatever and therefore there is a significant gap 
between the devotees or the yogis or the meditators, uh, the sadhaks, students, disciples, and the guru. And that was, of course, common at that time and still is uh, common today, with the benefits and the limits. Uh, the Buddha deliberately tried to break away from that. There. This is a, a significant departure from the Guru, from uh, the Vedas and the Vedanta too, uh, in which the departure was to make a shift from devotion to the Guru, with the kind of capital G that goes with it, to one of friendship. And that friendship language uh, permeates the, the teachings uh, there and therefore the, the Sangha is not for the individual enlightenment of the individual that's not, not, not what the Sangha is about actually, uh, actually but it's men and women giving support uh, to uh, each other to see what emerges uh, out of it uh, I have a, I have I mean for example when there, there's this big when we say this I don't particularly no. see this especially with the guru thing because it seems to me that the Buddhist practice mm. over centuries or mm. millennia mm. has been a strongly uh, teacher follower kind of tradition oh, it's, it's inherited okay. in Thailand and in Tibet absolutely. Uh, I absolutely couldn't agree more and also this Buddham Sharanam Gachami yeah which is really the Buddham, Sharanam, if you, if you know, is, is, is I fall on the feet. So the feet, so it's literally saying, not surrender, but the word means I fall on the feet of. So Sharanam, Sharanam is, is the feet. Uh, so is, um, for me, it really re-emphasizes, so for me, it, it's still a strong emphasis on the teacher and his teachings and in, in fact, even more than the Vedic religion, because Vedic religion, the Vedas become primary mm. and there are rishis, mm. but also gurus and gurus like the Buddha, are, the rishis are the ones who are supposed to be yeah. the... So it seems to me this is even more weighted actually than... Yeah, 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 but we're talking <laughs> there in slightly no, cross purposes. If, if you're saying that the the power of the guru as this know all do all in the Hindu tra Vedic tradition which may be may be in comparison with the Buddhist tradition where it's like you um, think but you come to me for support if yeah, you mean that yeah. interaction not really um, I, I think the earlier point is better I do think in the tradition there is a huge amount of guru devotion in Buddhism yes lamas Zen masters Theravada masters yeah, Jones, there, there is a great, uh, a great deal uh, of it uh, there. There's also much to its credit, which is much more uh, uh, that. I'm not, I'm not interested too much in the Buddhist tradition. I mean, I know it, but I'm not too interested in it. I'm interested in the teachings of the Buddha. And in those teachings, one thing, nobody was ever described as a teacher. That also dismissed the, the guru cult immediately. Not one single person did he say is a teacher. Uh, the word was occasionally used with regard to him. So the in intentionality right from the very beginning there was of the community sharing, exploring there. And people would go to different people in the Sangha at the time of the Buddha because they knew she or he had wisdom and understanding that we could learn from. But the Buddha kept out the language of teacher. Uh, so there's no language of acharya, that doesn't exist. There's no language of rishi, that doesn't exist. There's no language of guru there. So he cut out and dismissed the tendency towards the hierarchy. And as much as possible with us, including moi, though I'm in this teacher label role but there is a, the wish and it's common with us that we have the privilege of the role but the mode of communication is more offered in friendship and that's 
what we endeavour to keep and keep tuning with uh, the encouragement from the original teaching as much as possible and that's why we'll you know, kind of tell plenty of personal stories there, we'll hang out in the chai shops together and we'll do good friendships and all that's going, uh, uh, going on with us as well and you know, really good, good, good friendships and so the teacher-student application that those two archetypes certain situations like here is useful other times not what we're not what the sangha is engaged in together so I think that's something rather precious personally enough or anything else outstanding there? I'm a bit think, mm, I'm thinking mostly we were saying in some sense I was we were saying the same thing that the Buddha brought it into the Sangha yeah. and, 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 and took away the divine from that and made it more no, uh, accessible in I some just way. Where were you when I was giving the talk today? I wrote this yesterday. You picked up right, what good, I wrote. Alright. Um, <laughs> Spent 50 minutes on the divine called G.O.D. today. I wasn't talking about dogs. Could I please respond to this? (laughs) I wanted to so actually respond to this uh, God God and creation from my understanding of. This yesterday or today? Today's. today's This is from yesterday, but now from today. Um, My understanding of, for, for example, the thing that you said, Brahmin, is not. Is, a, is an English usage. Brahman. Brahman, the divine, but Brahmin, Brahmin, Brahmin is, is not, is, 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 is an English usage from the last maybe just 60, 70 years. It's Brahmana. So we oh, are Brahmana. But Brahmana is Brahmamana. The person with the heart mind mm-hmm. holds the divine. That's mm. the origin of that. So Brahmin is, uh, is, is not English meaningful. Corruption. Yes. Could, would it be said, the Brahmanas, which is the concept you're quite right, of the time of the Buddha, felt they had three duties with regard to the Sanskrit. This is the Brahmanas, the priestly class in, in English la- uh, language, and their responsibility was to preserve the Sanskrit. Their responsibility was to preserve the mantras, the rituals, and the ceremonies, and the animal sacrifice. And their responsibility was to preserve the text, the Vedas. Isn't that true? Uh, no, thank God. Uh, no, thank God? So Why is it in the text? Thank, huh? It's in uh, the text so there. Yes, uh, the third part about their um, duty was to preserve the Vedas. Yeah. This is One. definitely true. Um, and about <coughs> Sanskrit, not really. San- right. The B- Vedas are in a language called Chandas, yeah. which pre-originates Sanskrit. Right. So, no, no, not okay. preserving Sanskrit. Mm. And, and what was animal sacrifices? So, the Brahmanas came from the Rishis. When the Rishis were these unmarried forest creatures, yeah. who decided that society needed a tighter sort of connection with yeah. religion. So, they decided to marry and, 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 and create this, so, so I don't know how much of this is true, but the Brahmanas come from the married living within society, uh, but born of the, mm. of the Rishi, so that's the origin of Brahmanas, and their primary thing was the Vedas, yes, and there is uh, the, the animal sacrifices and the homams and all of that are the extra duty. Yes, uh, like like they believe that the devas would give them benefits uh, from it, from whatever if the king has to keep his kingdom or if the rain has to come. Mm. There are these rituals that are prescribed. Yeah. Also, so the second duty was to teach uh, the different uh, mm. people what they have to do, mm. uh, arts to people who are artisans and, and warriorship to the warriors. Mm. So teaching mm-hmm. and preserving the Vedas. Right. These are the two. The sacrifices are more like extra benefit of they, they, that. They, they were essential. From my, from my reading, I don't think one can bypass uh, the sacrifices. These, these were ordered by the Brahmanas. 
they would kill thousands of animals for the sacrifice in the worship of uh, Brahma and uh, the many places in the text where the Buddha really protested at this violence upon the animals um, in, in the name of Brahma by the Brahmanas uh, and people would uh, uh, gather uh, uh, for this and uh, the Buddha I must say on this point to his credit he was really he spoke up uh, a great deal and and gave alternatives uh, um, to these sacrifices and showing itself in gifts in kindness and support in uh, love for animals and, um, and much much uh, more the other um, though there's much you know it's a long uh, lineage and tradition pre-Buddha and post-Buddha and much to its precious credit and I wouldn't want to make too many uh, gaps and recognize the, out, the unfolding process but uh, the Buddha was as sharp as a razor blade if one reads the text here so he said the priests the brahmanas they preserved the language they knew the language and most householders and ordinary people just like the Catholic Church did didn't that language didn't enter into it so they kept the control just as the church did with Latin and, until change and reformations and other things uh, came about so there are the texts there's the language that went with the text there are the sacrifices and there are all the mantras and the rituals and the ceremonies and as you said imparting them whatever some of that to the people and it was called in the Vedas both the language the texts and uh, the rituals the threefold knowledge this is what the Buddha referred to he called it the threefold knowledge he dismissed he's, you know, he, he's a revolutionary he's not may I can I should I he, even in the caste system he would often put the military first and the Brahmin second. You know, he liked to shake people up. That was part of his job. So he said, here is this threefold knowledge of language, shall we say, texts, rituals, etc. And he says, I have a threefold knowledge. I am offering a threefold knowledge. And then they, of course, they say, okay, householders, what's the threefold knowledge you, you offer since you dismissed this one? He said, the threefold knowledge I offer is what happened in the past that led up to this? That's one. Second, what is this that's going on here and now? Second knowledge. Third knowledge, what's going on in here and now? What will it lead to? You can't argue with it. Because it immediately gives women and men on this earth, oh, this knowledge and experience I'm really interested in because it's your life. That's the difference. You know, it, it is a, uh, a reminder to us which because I was a little bit concerned uh, uh, there I in my 50 years of connection with India uh, and uh, uh, Eastern uh, uh, Eastern teachings I don't know of any texts which explore I, I mean I don't know if anybody knows any better than I find can show me. I've not found any text which it, it explores the psychology of the human being the consciousness uh, the mind body the depth of experience <coughs> the mystical, the sacred the spiritual, God, truth reality, whoa this is an extraordinary uh, expansive uh, uh, exploration there. It, it, it would be hard to imagine any stones unturned. Right? And I think we, 
have the opportunity to see as the teachings keep reminding us what's helpful and valuable and make use of that <coughs> what isn't let it go and as I mentioned in the previous retreat when I was a monk um, and the teacher would not have had a drop of interest in this conversation that you and I are having if he was sitting in the hall listening to you come on, get back to practice and uh, so when I went to him and spoke to him and, uh, and said, well, I was a monk, young guy I was in my twenties doing my practice in the monastery maybe the Buddha didn't exist maybe it's just a nice fairy tale just a story it's got and his response was, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Just practice and see if it's any use. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. So let's have a quiet minute or two, then another invitation. <coughs> yes, please. Yeah, um, I also would have asked you afterwards, but now yeah. um, right, the Please do. Um, you were talking about um, wanting in your talk. Before. I was talking about wanting. She says. Yeah. Yes. I was talking about. It. I actually forgot. In which, uh, which, um, yeah, um, like in uh, how, what you were talking about, it, like I forgot Me too. totally, yeah, uh, but <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you, you kind of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want me to remember, <laughs> and I want to remember, but I can't remember. <laughs> I think it was connected with. Uh, Receptiveness, like receptivity. Yeah, receptivity. But I'm really. When, when? Do you remember when? <laughs> <laughs> this week, last week, yesterday. No, yeah, today, today. Oh, today. Yeah, the Dharma talk. Ah, yeah. All right. <laughs> it might, might, might come. Uh, sometimes, uh, with the one thing, not always. The wanting, as it gets a little stronger, it, it becomes a pressure. I want, I want to know, I want to experience, I want to keep, I want to find out. And that very wanting puts the pressure and it generates some contraction. You know, when we're really wanting something, we, we get a bit boxed in with ourselves. So, though I can't remember the exact context of the words, but what I can say at the moment is the wanting when that's softer so it's more interest or curiosity that then allows for a certain uh, receptivity yeah, yeah. so that, that was the, uh, the, uh, the thread that requires from us a certain patience and and a certain trust and that's what we can offer as you know, modest, small human <coughs> beings and that may allow for something to move which is a little unexpected um, unknown which in some way um, informs yeah. it, it comes into the being it, and we are glad, it brings gladness we, we appreciate that even if sometimes it's quite challenging and that challenge means we know we have to address this we can't put it off any longer or postpone it if it's a challenging thing and somewhere in the being says okay, th this is the opportunity for this as well and other times it's quite insightful or creative or loving there so in the days that you've been here any forms of wanting been going on for you? Yeah, uh, mainly because, uh, like today especially, mm -hmm. that's probably why I was really interested in it. All right. 
um, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of like um, wantings, but it was more like um, like this kind of self-talking, which was really kind of rebellions yes. against like me, like not being interested in it anymore so much. Yes, it was like like really wanted a lot of attention, like uh, and being complaining a lot and yeah, not being happy about this and this and like right. judging and just like getting really loud and I was like um, like as you said like really sucking into it and um, like like not to to like go away from it but still like yeah it's like yeah okay yeah okay and but always with the kind of kindness and like just that be there and after a while I was just not really I was bored of it like after oh. I was talking I was complaining <laughs> and so I was like yeah whatever <laughs> and so after a while it disappeared you know I'm like yeah Right. <laughs> if, 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 you if you didn't hear the voice is a little uh, uh, quiet, could I give a summary? So that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that there's that which is going on in the mind. Key has got some wanting in it. That wanting could be complaining. That's a, wanting it to be different from what it is or whatever. <clears throat> and it can be irritating, lots of thoughts going on, some restlessness, some agitation and, and so forth. And despite all of that noise which is going on, <clears throat> there is again the receptivity which is listening to a softer voice, in fact, a more kind voice uh, and in the softer kind voice there's not the fighting against all the chat 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 and uh, all the wanting and complaining just not the fighting and that willingness just to be with it not reject it not try and keep it not fight it not try and control it. Uh, that's, in a way, wisdom voice of you, clear seeing uh, voice of you, will um, allow it to run its course and for it to come and pass and stay. With the rising and the passing and the uh, rising, staying and passing in this case with its passing was there a moment when it felt I'm out of that, it's gone <coughs> or just hanging around a little bit this complaining voice like when you were just sitting to us moving pretty firmly out of the here and now and having some dialogue on two and a half thousand years ago and longer. How how was it for you sitting then? Mm, like until now, I didn't complain about it. You didn't complain about it, Tom but Cook. I still expected to come back actually. So you still what? I expected to come back like the complaint. Oh, maybe expected? tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Oh, I see. <laughs> All right. All right. So Very young. I don't think right. like that. So there was complaining. no complaining about <laughs> Samatha and I talking about the Vedas and Buddha. No. Some might have. <laughs> eh? Eh? I thought it was amusing. Amusing. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, fair enough. Um. So, as you say, there can be the passing, <coughs> and then in the passing, let's say the complaining, you know, a common phenomena, the thought can then arise, oh, this complaining could be back soon, it could be back tomorrow, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 whatever it might be. Uh, there. What do you th could contribute to knowing, like today, let's say, the end of complaining so well and clearly <coughs> there is a certain confidence it will not come back <coughs> or if it does it's going to have to be something pretty big for it to get stimulated. What would give the confidence to say 
You know, your life, your heart, your mind, you know yourself. Give the confidence to say, one is, it will not come back. Or, if it does, it can be something pretty major for me to produce complaining. What, what will help to get that kind of authority and conviction? So that it's not coming back. So it's not coming back. You can say, what, what's the date today? The 8th of February, 2018, complaining stopped. <laughs> and it's been a great relief. Uh, I think it's just my switching perception and just deciding not to complain. Well, um, I can't, I don't know. yeah, could there, be, don't know. there could be, why not? So, um, why not switch perception right now and say, okay, right now, complaining, what, what's that? I can't remember having that. Yeah, but I, I, I think I cannot like, imagine like, something just to stop. Can you? In that way, maybe, I, I don't know, it's like... I, I, can I give you a short inspirational story? Okay. A friend of mine, She, good Dharma practitioner, you know, she's uh, a very good friend, many years. She said to me, her main issue, difficulty in life, was complaining. And most of her complaining was to her husband about him. It's usually called a recipe for a divorce. <laughs> and, and she just kept finding fault. And he would either know because she said, or he would know by the, you know, the body language. You know, she was just irritated with him and finding fault with him. And the man with clearly a lot of uh, equanimity maybe some loving kindness too but equanimity for sure uh, there and then she woke up one morning and for the first time she told, took real responsibility for this complaining and she said to herself this complaining is going to stop from today this is going to stop horrible for my husband and when I'm complaining about others because he has to listen to that as well and uh, uh, not helpful for me two years later she, the complaining had not returned so your day today <laughs> what Sometimes human beings, we can know ourselves <coughs> and sometimes without... I mean, if there's any repression, which is what the psychologists might... You're in psychology, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's any <laughs> repression, suppression or, or whatever, let's say of complaining, it's going to come back like a volcanic anger at some point. <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> But if it's not, if it's a clear statement that there's no longer the feeding into it, no longer the dependent arising as one just uh, finished, no need for it. No, no, it doesn't need to have to come back. Or as I say, very rarely. Whatever. What will it give, could give you the quiet authority? Of... of no word comes out of your mouth which is complaining. Nothing, no email, no text message. It's finished. And no suppression. It's a difficult uh, challenge. not to, to suffer from it anymore and nobody has to suffer from it? I mean it is, it, but it is a, uh, yeah, it's a lovely point. The, the difficulty is, pardon? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. 
Uh, also, she said the wish not to suffer and the wish for others not to suffer. But I, I mean, of course, I am the authority. You are the authority, true, yes. But the, the wish, or even the strong wish called wanting, isn't that which will bring the completion. It's a wish. Like when I was meditating, um, mm -hmm. I first tried to um, give more space. Give more space, yeah, yes, lovely. Because I was like really like tense and I tried to give more space and then I noticed I was like pushing the space <laughs> so I was like getting even more tense, like, like, I don't know, expanding, yeah, but uh, too hardly. So I thought, oh, wait, 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 this is, this is not space. <laughs> and so I was like... Um, trying to get, get really soft, like I was imagining, like this vanilla yogurt softness. <laughs> vanilla yogurt. <laughs> and, um, again, yeah. so, for, the, for those of us who are those of us who are vegans, it's not the best metaphor. But carry on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, um, maybe this authority is to like um, like go back to this and like, I don't know. Um, no, you're doing fine. Take, just take your time because it's really a tough one. If I li li listen there, I think you kind of genuinely onto something very important. There's something about the space which you respond to. I asked the question what will end the uh, complaining and the voice inside of you is about space and um, fully about what makes the sense of space significant for the ending of complaining? That there is no complaining. Why, why, why does complaining not have an opportunity if there's Genuinely, a lot of space. Mm, maybe because of like of what space consists of does not consist of. Like, all, right. all right. Love and hardness and. So something all right in the space. Uh, that space the openness of it which we have to live with the vulnerability of our openness with these things uh, there it doesn't, it doesn't seem like how if one's really spacious and really <coughs> expansive there it doesn't seem like complaining and moaning and doesn't seem to have any place in there it doesn't seem relevant One, one's bigger the heart, consciousness, the space is a lot bigger than the event. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in the time here, including right now, how is the, the sense of spaciousness with you? What's the sense coming from you? Mm, I, um, I don't know what you mean exactly by sense, but I was... Um, they're like um, using it again and again to yes. um, yeah, to okay. lose like tension and yes. soften into and also when I went out, or sometimes I am using earplugs and I take them out because then there's more space yes. and I can like feel the space ah. and I can well, I'm more receptive. Yeah. For what's going on. Yeah. And really when cool. I'm outside and. I try to really feel the space and sometimes like zoom out into the universe. Yeah, yeah, like sure. Imagine, okay, there's so much space. Yeah. Which like, um, yeah, makes me more um, light. Yeah, good spirit. If, if keep that well established and that exploration going, uh, going uh, uh, with you. Then the small events of life around which complaining tends to go. Um, seems unimportant and rather uh, irrelevant so that 
if there are challenging situations, instead of complaining about them, we might observe them, we might respond to them, uh, we might learn from them, because we've got enough space around it. Good. Anything more to add? No. No. All right. Okay, thank you. So let's just have a a quiet minute together and I'll uh, just give a short reflection. the uh, first inquiry in the turning of our mind's eye back to uh, knowledge and understanding and as was uh, pointed out there is a certain, to my view genuinely common uh, uh, lineage uh, but it is something of an outburst from all the religious and secular training and knowledge that he had and of course being in the royal family of course he would have had the very very best of education um, and uh, so forth there are many aspects which I think which weren't mentioned which I would say shows the commonality uh, uh, there and also shows where there was some freshness and some departure uh, taking place as well. And that, I think, in a way, the principle of that, looking at what's in common, looking at where the changes are being made there, in the same way to bring it right back into our current situation here. I think the same kind of principle is at, at work. We recognise some things need to be changed significantly uh, there. Religion, all of them, pretty well, is patriarchal. That's unacceptable. That has to change. That change comes about, as we see in the hall here, with women and men coming together as friends and sharing uh, uh, together, exploring uh, together, and a real sense of uh, sharedness and equality in experience, in vision and in view and uh, much, much more. That's a really, I think, important uh, change. There is the changes which are taking place in the adventure of life, also again confirmed here. Teachings have endorsed and encouraged Uh, ways of life, of nomadic, of exploring, of inquiring there and of course it's an international community here and all of you without exception are willing to take some time away from the regularity of work and the the orthodoxy of circumstances and explore and then see, to be clear, what is useful (coughs) to preserve and keep like the Buddha looked at what's useful in the form to preserve and keep and what needs to change and there's quite often a certain dialogue and also a certain tension in knowing what's worth conserving called the conservatives and what's worth developing and progressing called the progressives 
and that exploration is part of the vitality uh, both that could be personal and uh, social <coughs> um, politi- uh, political and, and uh, so forth it could be for some of us it is um, worthwhile looking at history some of us are small students of history looking at particular periods of history like we touched on one particular period of history seeing if we can squeeze the honey out of it not for its own sake but to see what we can apply and work with here so some of us have an interest in religion religions there much which I love and appreciate and much which I really feel a great deal of concern about as I'm sure you do I can look at secular life there's much which I love and appreciate and there's equally much which I feel a real concern about and it's getting to know in ourselves what we appreciate develop and explore that and feel glad about that and what we feel concerned about to have the voice to express that concern and to see if we can contribute to making changes and I think that to me is part of the ongoing uh, dialogue which uh, uh, takes, takes place there are the, 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 the second uh, in, inquiry <coughs> and sometimes we look at states of mind let's call it complaining as, as one of them certain impressions have touched some unsatisfactory feeling those impressions may be from some views and opinions something that we see going on around us or with an individual or from memory and it agitates the being it's a bit like like bronchitis it just triggers and just a small mention here sideways step for a moment now I've got it on my mind sometimes we say we cough because we have a virus fair enough but sometimes we cough because we're craving to cough the wanting to can be more influential than the irritation and the reason I mention this is that the practice and the meditation not always sometimes to take the cough as the archetype the principle of much else which goes on in life it's an irritation irritation is rubbing there's the impulse to get rid of the irritation and we (coughs) uh, uh, and sometimes we notice it quite often with the cough or with the sneeze there's often an absence of samadhi often most often one is thinking about something or one is daydreaming one's lost touch with the experience of the body it's building up, we haven't noticed it and then suddenly out comes the outburst and the painting falls off the wall or whatever it might, uh, might, might be and, and it sounds far louder than the, all those fireworks uh, that go, uh, go on dare I say, if we're mindful rare event but if we are mindful uh, and quite steadiness with the mindfulness with all that experiencing calmness instruction my goodness it's been said enough experiencing calmness instruction we can actually dissolve that irritation right in it before it's got to the I want to cough situation and uh, impact into the silence or sometimes we're really calm and just follow it and track it really without fighting in a really relaxed way the um, possibility of the cough it might still emerge 
but it tends to be a lot quieter. I'm just setting myself up here for a big cough tomorrow, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the universe comes round. Right, you wait till tomorrow. <laughs> I'll deal with it when it comes. <laughs> yeah. and, and rather similarly there, the, if we're in touch, the uh, hand will always be faster than the cough. Hand to the mouth. Uh, and again it's a small act of kindness obviously for everyone else and the same principle actually applies uh, with the yawn as well sometimes the yawning uh, can take place and to catch can I just catch it before it comes breathe a little bit find a little bit of extra uh, energy rather Uh, whatever uh, it, it, might, it might be just as a practice to see if I can dissolve something before expression as a practice it's not really about the cough it's not really about the yawn it's about learning to catch things which have an irritation or a pressure in them before they, they and we can do that we can, we can uh, explore, explore that that's a good practice alright enough 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 so the um, if the bell ringer kindly ring the bell in 15 one five minutes uh, for us and then from 10 past uh, no no no, yeah, no 20 minutes or so, and then 10 past 9 and then at 9.15 with the circles we'll have the 30 minute uh, sitting together through to the hot drink at 9.45. Again, thank you for two of you for coming up for the inquiry and your good voices are uh, valuable for all of us. Thank you.